Hey, good morning, Christian Layman Church. This morning we are in our series, Mates Love, um, about, and, and our Mates Love series is about human sexuality. And uh, we're in week three. So if you are um, under 18, uh, we're going to talk about some really adult context here. So if uh, you have a visual or verbal agreement with your parents and you want to stay here, you're welcome to. Um, we do have our middle school and high school um, service for basic up in the ladies' lounge. It's just always weird being in the ladies' lounge and being over there. The year is 1994, and I am in sixth grade. And Boys to Men had the number one album out there. Boys to Men, and their album is called Two. And see, back then, CDs were, um, for those millennials, what you used to actually put in your car, right here, put in, and you pick the song, okay? It's only 10 songs, okay? There's one song that Miss Brooke, she was like, how can you sing this song? She was devastated by the words of this lyrics. And I'm going to sing it to you. No, I'm not going to sing it to you. I'm just going to say the words. And back then, CDs, right, had the lyrics with the booklet and pictures too, right? And this song was called I'll Make Love to You. And I just remember the chorus when I was, when I was in sixth grade. It says, it says, I'll make love to you like you want me to. I'll hold you tight, baby, all through the night. I'll make love to you when you want me to. I'll not let go until you tell me to. This is me singing, I'll make love to you with a bunch of other people, and we didn't even know what love was. We just knew that we wanted to make love with somebody, okay? This is sixth grade. Miss Brooke was, she was like, how can you sing this song? This is insane. You know, being an 80s baby and a 90s kind of, uh, kind of person, um, sex during that time was everywhere. It was a sexualized culture, really. Um, even so now, I think about it now, it's even more prevalent when I, before I was even growing up. Um, the way I think about it now is like my heart at that time, at that very young age, right, in sixth grade, began, began to have misconceptions of what sexuality is and began to find um, a meaning of what, what is sex. And this morning, um, I want to I wanna share my heart to you. And, and the only way I'm going to show my heart to you is um, by describing um, some of the things that was going on in my heart. Um, you see, um, my heart, uh, when I was growing up, um, there was a lot of things going on. You see, my heart, uh, it was filled with a lot of lust and this thing called pornography. And you see, this thing called pornography and, and lust, it, it kept on really... Um, ravishing my, my heart to knowing that it was an idol, there's bondage, and that later on they would actually lead to sexual sin. And you see, this sexual sin, I did not know because it would actually kill me slowly. You see, along the way of wrestling with my heart, what I was wrestling with too was that at home, things weren't always right. I felt broken because being from an abusive home. I felt, felt hurt. There's a lot of hurt at home because my parents were first generation people and so the way they interacted with me was just really difficult. I felt pain. There was a lot of pain because I couldn't explain to them how I was feeling. But one of the main things that, that really captured my heart 
at a very, very young age was lust. And you see, lust, in all, all of its way, is not sin. Lust, in all its way, is actually supposed to be made a certain way that's supposed to be made um, from God to actually um, be actually positive, to understand what sex is, to understand what our human heart's desires are. But you see, for me, what ended up happening was that lust and pornography became an avenue for me, right, to dive deep into sin before I even knew what sin was. You see, my relationship with God later on, I began to wrestle and fight, having understanding, how do I, how do I wrestle with lust? How do I wrestle with pornography as a believer in Christ? You see, the consequences of lust, right, begin to ravish my entire life. I didn't grow up knowing what sex was. To me, I grew up knowing what sex was because of the culture, of the subculture. Whether it's MTV or school dances or when my friends told me what sex was, I began to learn what that was and it ravished me. You see, lust is not a man thing, a woman thing. It's not a singles thing, a marriage thing. It's not a social economic thing. It's not a culture thing. It is, not a, it is not even a race thing. It's not even a sex traffic thing. It's all of the above, but it begins, and first and foremost, and it starts with our heart. That's where it starts with. And I'm standing here trembling, trembling because for me, when I look out, I feel judgment. I feel ashamed. But at the same time, I feel so much freedom. I feel so much joy because there is somebody that took away this pain that I was feeling in my heart, what I was wrestling with. And this morning, this morning, I want you to come with me on a journey in my heart. I want you to come with me so we can talk about how can our heart like this be cleansed? How can our heart like this be broken from bondage, from idol worship? from the depths of the sin. And this morning, I want to walk with you and I want you to come along with me because there is a hope, there's a joy, there's a freedom, there's a deliverance for you. Because I believe in this room right now, there are people here that are stuck in this bondage, not for recently, but for years, or maybe for a season, but there are people here that need to hear that God loves you. And there's a reason why you could overcome it. It's kind of, kind of strange sitting here letting you know next week you as a community are going to go ahead and commission me as one of your servants, one of your ministers. And I'm telling you some of my deepest, darkest, painful secrets that, I've, that I grew up with. And it's, this is the God that we worship. That God could take someone from the depths of sin who had no understanding of what sin was to the depths of just serving him for others. Because he knows exactly how some other people are going through right now. And what you're feeling. And what you're going through. Church, let's pray. Father, we come before you because you're an amazing God that gives all. You give freedom because it flows so strongly from you. Because you're an amazing God. May you, this morning, Father, break open our hearts to hear what you have to say. Amen.
You know, Proverbs 4.23 says, it says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. This morning we're talking about our heart condition. We're talking about your hearts and my hearts. And the only way that we're going to do this is that I want to know if you're tracking with me. So this morning, what we're going to do is, if I'm gonna, how I'm going to be track with me is I want you to put your hand, I'm going to put it over your heart. So I'm going to say, are you with me? And if you're with me, show me your hand and put it over your heart. So this morning, so far, what you heard so far, so far we're talking about, are you with me? I see somebody like, what kind of forever, you know? <laughs> Hey, this morning, uh, our first R for Are You With Me is uh, realization. And so the first R today is, are you, do you realize that um, how much sin is actually pretty bad? And so I want you to turn with me to Matthew uh, 5, 27 to 30. And for some of you old timers, this, this is a verse you probably read over and over and over again. And for some of us here, um, we read it. Um, and, it, and I hope that it brings new meaning for you to discover what does Jesus talk about when it comes to lust. What does he mean that we need to bring stuff before him? And let's read this. It's Matthew 5, 27, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, Jesus here does something that's really crazy. Jesus here wants us to have a better understanding of righteousness. Now, he was speaking to the Pharisees, and um, we dare say many churches, even our church, are here. Sometimes we feel like we are Pharisees ourselves, right? We don't live a certain way that's according to Scripture. Our hearts are not clean. Matter of fact, we even are afraid to even post that we are a believer in Christ and have a spiritual debate from politics, from race, from culture, from social justice, right? But Jesus here says, look, if you want to know what righteousness is, I'm going to challenge you to give you a better understanding of how deep into your righteousness with me. So Jesus is now speaking on the Beatitudes, right? He's coming in, right? And his first teaching, right? His first ever teaching, right, is repentance, right? It's in Matthew 4. It says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. You see, Jesus here is saying, look, I'm going to tell you how to get into heaven, but I got to tell you, if you don't get into heaven, there are some things about hell that I'm concerned about. Jesus here uses the word hell twice, more than any other part of Scripture, twice, in one little section right here in three verses. You see, Jesus here is showing that he wants to come to, to fill the law, which is the Torah, and these, these Pharisees understand the law to the T. As a matter of fact, they were, they were, they were, they were trained well people to be law-abiding citizens. But Jesus, what he wanted to do is that he wanted to come not to only fulfill the law, but also give a new covenant. A new covenant. A couple weeks ago we talked about covenant. What is, what is, what is sex in a marriage? And it's about a covenant, right? And so here's Jesus coming to give a covenant. A covenant of a new law with him. He's saying, look, I am the Messiah. I will give you the law. I'm going to give you the law, but I'm going to deepen the law for you to have a better understanding of what the intent of this law is for you. 
And it's not for you just to go ahead and just follow it to the T. But I want you to be deep in it and more to be better understanding. What is this law? What is this law? Verse 27, it says, You have heard this, it was said, that you shall now not commit adultery. Jesus, more than anything else, wanted us to be right. Not because to a law standard. He wanted us to be right in our hearts. He wanted to be right in our hearts towards one another and towards life. You see, our faith in Christ, right, it's not about ourselves, right? It's about others, right? And yet, so many of us sit in this room and we are selfish as heck, as guilty. If you ask me, are you selfish, I would raise both hands. Easy. You know, Jesus simply tells people that having sexual relations outside of marriage is adultery. You see, we in this culture, we have now dumbed down what it means about sexual relations outside of marriage now. But Jesus says, look, this is what it means. You see, this is where it gets interesting because now Jesus is talking about two different things. Lust and adultery. You see, lust by itself is not a sin, okay? But the implications of lust, the intent, the purpose of lust that leads to coveting, then from coveting leads to adultery, that is sin. You see, Jesus says that our outer thoughts becomes our outer beings and action that causes. And this is what's going to happen. There is a physical sin, an act of it, right? The physical sin, act, which is called adultery. Okay? So put that on your notes, in your head, right? But then, this is what Jesus does that's so insane. He says that this is a heart sin action, lust. That this is a heart sin action, and it's lust. You see, lust at the core of adultery, right, it destroys God's purpose of what marriage is. It, 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 it just kills it. See, if you lust after another person with an intent and a purpose, you already commit adultery in your heart. This is the seventh commandment, right? You see, Jesus comes right here and he teaches specific laws about what's going on. And these are called antithesis. What they are is that there's a contrast between what we're going to have. Jesus sets up and says, I have heard what you have heard, but I tell you. And Jesus comes and says, I know you heard this, but let me change it for you. I'm going to tell you this. Jesus wants us to go deeper with him with a better attitude. You see, growing up, telling someone that I was hurt, I was in pain, or, or I was struggling, not, no problem, super easy. Telling someone that I was lusting, I was in pornography, no way. You tell that to an eighth grader, to a middle schooler, to a high schooler, to a college student. You tell them to a young adult, to someone that's older, no way. You see, Jesus wants us to have a better attitude when we think about lust and pornography and sin in the church so that we can be free from it, so we can talk about it. So what, so what do you do? See, I knew at a young age that sex was good before I even knew God, meaning that I knew the intent of sex was actually really rich and really deep. And I wanted to save myself for the perfect person. And so that was my journey when I was in middle school, to save myself for the best, perfect person that I could find. And I began to make a list. Who this person is, what they look like, what they had, and what I should have, what that should be. But see, I wasn't raised with amazing sex teachers or what sex is. My parents, first, immigrant, first refugees, first generation, 
you know, my dad would make fun of sex by saying, like, one day you're going to get married and you're going to have lots of babies and he starts dancing. So I'm like in like grade school, like, okay, so making babies is like dancing. I'm going to have lots of them. And this is like the way my dad was teaching me, right? Obviously not a good teacher, okay? Right, right? Are, are you with me? Are you with me? Yes. Okay, a lot of people, yes, quickly. But I began to learn about sex, right, through pop culture. I've learned the sex. I, I, the, the, the most I learned about sex was watching The Wonder Years. The most I learned about sex was watching Saved by the Bell. And these were shows that were, like, were amazing. I was like, all right, this is what I need to do. This is how I'm going to get Winnie, you know? All right, Zach, you should not break up with Tiffany, you know? Like, you just got to, you know, you'll always come back to her at some point, you know, but you can't cheat on her, you know? That was my view of pop culture of what sex was. And so recently, um, a daughter came home from school, and she told us that I've heard about sex. You, Char, and I, how did you hear about sex? You're only in second grade. She thought, I heard, Dad. My friend told me that when you have two people, they come, they have sex, and they have to make babies. I'm like, oh, my goodness. We're, what? Did I do something wrong? Did she do something? Did I not? Did we not? We freaked out. We didn't expose her to this. Later on, going deeper, there's a friend of hers that we are we are we, we are praying so hard to work through our emotions. They're still friends today, and we pray that the Lord Jesus comes with her to really counsel and love and care and be gentle with her because we want Karis to be an example of Jesus to her friend. And this friend said, I learned about sex through the family guy, so I'm going to tell all my friends. And this is sometimes, this is what's happened. Is that one way or another, we're going to learn about this, and who's going to teach about it? And right now, as I sit here, the only thing that I thought of right now is that for, we told Karis, you heard this about sex, but let us tell you what sex is. We didn't have to explain to her the details of the birds and the bees. We said that it, this is something that God made that is beautiful. You're here because of it. And that when you are older, we would teach you more about what it means um, to be in a relationship with somebody and have something so special that you would call it not just sex, but love. And you would make love with this person. And it is, a, it is an awesome and amazing thing to have. We need to protect not just our children at all costs, but we need to protect the people around us to have a misconception of what is sex. And I'm so thankful that she came home and told us. I'm so thankful that my, I have an amazing wife that's able to calm down. We both calm down. We prayed. How do we know what she's heard? But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Verse 28 says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, the reason why he's using a woman and her, Jesus is teaching these Pharisees, and so these are all men, and, and the, it's predominantly teaching towards men. But I want you all to understand that this is not, uh, again, a, a male and female issue. This is, this is a human issue, period. You see, this is a heart issue. It's a longing for a quick fix. It is, it, is, it is deeply rooted in your heart. 
Jesus was talking to people who thought that physical adultery was all that they had to worry about. Okay, just like, don't commit adultery? I'm good. I can look at anybody I want and do whatever I want in my mind, in my heart. No one's going to know about it. No one. You see, lust in the heart, Jesus stressed that the purpose of lust is that if you're after him or her, that it occurs in the heart, that this is the present tense of this a sexual intent to pursue them. This is a, this is, this is a heart issue. This is a, a heart issue. This is a heart sin. It's a heart sin act. See, what Jesus is saying is that, look, all, the nature of sin is sin. But this sin is particularly in your heart and how you're lusting. You see, what goes in the heart manifests action. And sometimes right, these actions, right, we'll see it actually on display. And it's scary. You see, sometimes, here's the issue. When you lust, it's hidden. You, can't, you, you don't really go to someone at a Starbucks and go, excuse me, are you looking at me? Are you lusting me right now? Strange conversation over your white caramel frappuccino 2% milk. You might say no, and you walk quickly out. You see, for me, the porn issue ravished me when I was in middle school and high school. It almost destroyed me when I was in college. You see, pornography doesn't have a look or a taste or a feel, right? You see, someone could be all night into pornography in this place, in this land where a click of a mouse and a screen and a locked door by yourself or with other people, right? You could the next morning wake up and go to class, go to work, and be a mother, be a father. Be whoever you are, who you are, and you're totally fine. And and there's there's nothing about you that, that even hints a little bit of who you are. Here is the issue. You see, this is the, the point issue is that it, it objectifies people. We know that. We support an unhealthy industry. We know that. We take away expressions of sex. We know that, some of us maybe. It diminishes sexual pleasure. We know that too. It takes away of our purity. We're in control. There's ideas and fantasies that go unchecked. It is selfish. Here's something else, too. It is everything that Jesus Christ is not. It has to go. But here's something crazy, too. Jesus says, even though pornography has to go, I will walk with you. I will walk with you because I want to see freedom in you. If your heart is going to open to you with your freedom, let's do it together. A good friend of mine is Dean. He's a pastor of Homer Christ. Five in Fremont, he posted a question. My son came to me and asked, what is a porn star? What is a porn star, Dad? Fresh off the I know what sex is, I pondered that question myself. He's in this community, and one gentleman gave him the most amazing answer I've ever heard. He explained what a porn star was, but he also explained what Jesus' intent and what the intent was not for. And he helped Dean try to articulate a way that he could talk to his son, who is 11 years old. You see, this issue of pornography, right, does not just end because of adolescent or a one-time season or thing. 
It's an ongoing battle. What do I do? What do I do about this? What do we do about this? I have the opportunity to come and be with people because I'm a people person. I don't go where you're at, your workplace, your school. And in my heart, I began to really realize there are people that are in this bondage of sexual sin. And I began to create opportunities to meet with them, to create space so that they can be safe so that we can just talk about sports, the Warriors, shoes, you name it, life, whatever it's going to be. And that was going to be my hook. Maybe not now or six months or a year, but maybe in a two. But I started planting seeds so that one day I can have a conversation. Hey, how are you doing? How are you really doing in your heart? What's really going on? We started this pod. There are this group of amazing guys that I started a pod with that want to overcome their sexual addiction, their sexual sin of pornography. And they, they told me, they, you can imagine the shame, the guilt. And you know what I did? I stopped them and I said, look, I was there. I know what you're talking about. There's nothing to be ashamed about. If you believe in Christ and he has the power to overcome and take the sin from your heart, let's, let's do this together. Let's walk. It became one person. It became two. It became three. It became four. It became five. It became six. They're in a group now wrestling and fighting together because they know the freedom of what it is to be away from this bondage of lust and pornography. You see, in this group, we began to talk about what is God's intention for sex. We talk about the issues of lust and porn. We, we talk about the beauty of what it means to be when God gives you that person that one day you're going to go ahead and covenant with. We talk about purity. We talk about freedom and away from this bondage. Recently, this group has been meeting without me. And what I told them, I said, I hope that when you're all together and the, the freedom you sense and you feel in this group of, taking, of, of this lust being away from your heart and, and this pornography, that I want you to take it back to other people too that you know they're struggling with this too. You start your own pod. And pod stands for this, people of discipleship. And we have pods right now too, right now in our church now for our youth. And it's the amazing thing about our pods, we have some amazing leaders, we call them crew, that are young adults, that are college students, that love on our youth, that can share with them and teach them things about, maybe some things here as parents, it's a struggle to teach, to talk about. Maybe some things that you've never even experienced, that these pod leaders, these crew people are empowering. This pod of guys that I'm investing into, literally last week's met with them, Every single one of them said, I feel so free in my heart right now from this bondage. I feel so free from lust and pornography. I sat there in my heart so overjoyed because this is what sin, right? Taking away sin can do to you. It can lead you to have a better understanding of what the grace and freedom it is. Think about that. Verse 29 says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Jesus here is always trying something new. Right? Think about that. Every single way that he tries to teach you, right? Some kind of radical, different way. It's like, 
dang, Jesus, you want to take my eye out? You want me to, like, cut my hand off? Like, this is not like a Walking Dead episode, you know? Like, this is, this is intense. Like, what, what, what are you going on? What Jesus was doing is that he was using metaphor and literal. This was not literal, right? This is metaphorically. See, Jesus shows us that there's two illustrations to show his point that we need to avoid sin. He chooses the eye and the hand on the right side because, you see, during that time, the right side of a person is more dominant, right? Your right eye and your right hand. Now, those who are lefties and left eyes, great, amazing, praise the Lord, right? But he uses this sign. I asked someone, I said, why is the right eye and the right hand just more dominant? And I asked an amazing soon-to-be optometrist, and they said that the reason why is because it is more in what happens in the brain, where you're more developed on a certain side, so you begin to do much more things that's more on a particular side, the right eye and the right hand. And he says this, he says, Jesus shows that, that a man for, if we're going to change this in our heart, right, there has to be a violent change to remove any source of temptation. He knew it was going to be serious. He knew that later on we would ravage the church. Paul, for the most part of the New Testament, talk of these churches, says, stay pure. Your body is a temple. You need to stop with this bondage. You need to stop sexual sin. Paul was wrestling with so many different people and facets that were dealing with this. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he had equipped people to have a better understanding of what the sex looked like and the bondage of that and the, the ways that we could take away sin. Now part two, it says this. Part two, verse 29, it says, It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Look, Jesus wants heaven. He doesn't want hell. He wants heaven. And when he wants heaven, he's going to explain to you why hell is just so, you can't be there. He wants heaven. A lot of times, right, we think about lust and sexual bondage and sin. We think about, right, we think about hell. We think about the guilt, the shame. Let's change your attitude. Let's think about heaven. Let's think about freedom. Let's think about, you know what, maybe you're, you have a misconception of what that is. And let me tell you about it. Jesus here says, he doesn't want Gehenna, a reference to the final judgment of eternal torment for us to be there. Jesus making sure that his disciples would see the importance of this issue, of many issues. Many disciples later on go on to be the pillar of the church, right? And they have firsthand contact with Jesus for some of the most radical, crazy issues that we have in the church. It shows us that Jesus was preparing the world to wrestle and battle sin. We need not to take this lightly, church. As believers in Christ, we need to have strong measures and extreme ways for us to break this bondage because habitual sins that move towards a cross, because this cross right here is not a place where you have a nice picnic and you're by and you look at it. The cross is where you actually go to when things die. And when Jesus died for you on the cross, he died for things exactly like this sin. You see, what wrecks, we need to find ways that are going to wreck the ways that we seize God's amazing, relentless love for us to keep us free, to set us free. So what is it going to cost you? What is it going to cost you, right, to take physical sin, which is adultery, out. What's going to take for you a heart sin issue out. And here it is. Accountability. 
Accountability only works, right, if you're being honest. A friend of mine who's a pastor and says that accountability does not work at all when two people are being dishonest. Think about that. As a matter of fact, if you're, if you're two people that's being kept accountable and you come and just lie about it, you're having a nice time together, not telling the truth. For many of you, what is it going to be? Extreme measures. Is it setting your computer now in the family room? Is it having an honest conversation with your spouse about what you've been wrestling for years because on your business trips? For you, is it a different route you need to take to work because you enjoy this route because there are a lot of fantasies and thoughts to go to as you're passing by a certain area? Is it what we listen to, what we see? Maybe for some of us, it's certain relationships that we're in that we need to leave. I think the, the number one extreme thing for us to do, right, the number one extreme thing for us to do is, are we looking in the mirror and realize that there's this heart condition that we need to get right with the Lord? There's a story that forever, forever is in my mind. It says that there's a guy, he's walking down the street, he falls in a hole. He doesn't know it's there. The next day, the guy walks, he sees the hole, he still falls in the hole. Third day, the guy goes down the same street, he sees the hole, he tries to go around the hole, he falls in the hole. The fourth day, he walks a different street. Sometimes, if we don't break our habitual sins towards a certain sin, we're going to keep falling into it like the guy over and over and over and over again. We might try to justify it, right? But we're going to fall into it. And it doesn't matter who you are. You see, lust has no reservations of who and what you are. The moment it's in your heart, it's going to capture your heart. You know, my sexual sin caught up with me in, in high school. I got a phone call from my girlfriend at the time saying that, Anna, I think I'm pregnant. You see, I was so far into bondage from all these years of desiring for my sexuality of what it was not that I began to really see the depths of my sin. That summer, I changed everything. Left the girl. I got baptized. I rededicated myself to Jesus. I remember being at the altar. I was praying. Every single day, each, uh, Karis and I, we, 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 uh, we drive to school, and she reads this little Bible. And her Bible has different topics. And the one topic was uh, in Gethsemane. And she's like, Daddy, Jesus was praying, and, he's, he, and he, he bled? Like, sweats of blood? And I said, yeah. At this retreat my senior year, I was praying so hard. I said, God, take me out of this sin that I'm in, that I have broken so many relationships in. That as, as I was praying so hard, holding my knees, right, both of my nose started bleeding profusely, profusely. My left knee of my, you know, 501 jeans, right, was like, I had like a, a giant red, like, you know, knee pad that was red. I was so ashamed of the blood, and I, I didn't think, and everyone was praying too, and Deep in prayer, I, I got up, I left, I went back to my cabin, I changed pants, and I went back to go pray. Recently, speaking at a praise night for San Francisco, they had a joint night with Campus Crusade, the IV, and WCF. They said, oh, I want you, we want you to come on, and we want you to just 
have a praise. We want, we want to see this campus to be revived. We want to see this campus be changed for the Lord. This is San Francisco State. San Francisco is a city. You couldn't imagine the, the, the diverse culture and people, religious, everything, right? The night was filled with so much joy in the Lord. I go up to pray. My nose starts bleeding profusely. It hasn't bled like that praying since high school, my senior year. You see, I knew that if I didn't take a radical measure to take away lust out of my heart that could lead from just on heart sin, that will lead to actually, it did lead to, a physical sin, a covenant, an adulterer, sex outside of marriage. That I knew that I didn't do this, this was going to run rampant for the rest of my life. Verse 30 says, if, you're, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. The eye is stimulated and it leads to imagination and fantasy, but the hand puts this into action. The hand puts us into motion to actually follow through with our fantasies and our thoughts and our desires. Right now, in our culture right now, there is abuse and misconduct. There's some scary things that what happens when we go from the heart issue of lust and it goes out into our hands, into the real world, of what we're capable of doing. But this morning we're talking about not those consequences of what could happen. This morning we're talking about a heart condition of what, what can you do for your heart? What can you change? This is how much Jesus hates sin. He knows where you're going to go. He knows what's going to happen to you when you're consumed. You see, lust is this. It's a strong desire. It's never said in a good way. It has an intent. And when we desire lust because it's, it's a quick way, the fastest way for us to receive our temptation, our pleasure, with no consequences. And it hurts because it harms the way that we are made to be in relationship. God did not design us this way to lust that's going towards sin. Now, it becomes a seed, then we begin to lust. The seed goes from just a seed of lust into coveting, into adultery, and it kills the heart. If we are not going to take radical measures to fight against this, we need to be thinking about it right now. We need to throw away anything that causes us to sin. Literally. That's what Jesus is saying. This message is strong. It's, 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 it's demanding of us as believers. But all of us here, we kind of knew about that when we signed up for it, right? You see, we need to create boundaries and the cross is required for us because if we do not set up these boundaries, we're going to spiral into this area of lust where the devil will have a hold onto our heart like it did for me. Are you still with me? Ways that we could do this is it starts with a restoration. 
a couple years ago, I started a, a service um, in, in this old uh, Everything Presbyterian Church called Restoration. It was a place where I wanted high school, high school and college students to come to be restored, to just to walk with the Lord. It's a very, very small group. But it was the most fruitful time that summer where I experienced just how God can restore your heart. You see, Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are those who appear in a heart, for they will see God. If you came to be a follower of Christ, then if you're a true disciple, right, your heart has to be filled with Christ first and be restored for you to know your worth. So what do you do? What do you do about this temptation? What do you do about this sin? What about this bondage that has enslaved you? One, tell someone you trust. Anyone you trust. That person you probably tell you trust, they don't even have to be a believer. But you trust them to tell them about your, your heart. And I guarantee you as a believer, they're going to freak out. They're going to react. But you know what, though? They are just like you and you're just like them. We have amazing home groups and men's and women's ministries here that have people that will love you with, with no bounds. Yesterday, our women's ministry had an event called Board and Brush. My wife came back home so excited. She says, I am just so encouraged by this community. I was blown away by the women that were there. And for the hear from my wife, she said she's excited. I was like, amen, Jesus. Amen. Are you going to read? The word is going to be filled with promises to heal you, to remove you. But for some of you, you want to know more. There's two books. The Paul, that, uh, guys that, that, I, that I've been encouraging is called, there's a, uh, there's, there's a guy named uh, Steve and his wife, and they have a ministry called Pure Ministries. And I call this the, the Bible of sexual idolatry, and it's called At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry. This is for men, and I have a couple copies. And you just come see me and just grab it. You don't have to even meet me to say, just give me a book, and you know. I also have one for women, too, and this is by his wife, Steve, Kathy. It says, creating me a pure heart, answer for struggling women. And you're going to read to find out more about how can you overcome this. And I think lastly, in our church right here, this is not just going to be a one-time message and that, that's it, and, and we're not going to continue to have discussion. I think in our church right now as a, as a church, discussions about what marriage is, about who we're called to be, and our sexuality. It's going to be an ongoing conversation. And I will be starting a four or five pod here. Four or five is, a, is numbers, and I grew up in the pager area. So if, the pager area is like numbers which you use for different meanings. And the, the, uh, the number four is gods, G-O-D-S, and five is hearts. And you spell it out to pass five letters. Four or five means God's heart. And I'm going to be starting a God's pod, a four or five God's heart pod here for people in our church that are dealing with this. And obviously it's going to be men and women groups. But I want to empower you to see change, empower this community to have a different attitude about the struggle because there is freedom. There is freedom. Are you still with me? Romans 10.9 says this. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God risen him from the dead, you will be saved. 
If you recognize you are a sinner, you need a Savior to redeem. He loves you, and it starts with the condition of the heart. You know, a climb for hope begins with a start. And a couple years ago, before we had children, Ichan and I were pretty avid rock climbers. It, it may not seem like it now, but we were pretty avid rock climbers. We had a belay, we had a chalk bar, and then we had our stinky, stinky shoes. But every night, we would climb the V1s, not V2s because we weren't good enough, right? The V0s, right? And just hung out. And we climbed. You see, when you climb something, right, there is, there is a beginning and there's an end. And the beginning starts in the bottom and the end's on the top. Now, also, when you got to the top, you didn't come back down too, right? So it's also kind of scary too. But it is overcoming, right, the ability to go to the top. And for some of you here, overcoming this bondage, this sexual sin, it's going to take a process. And it's going to take time. And it's going to be a start somewhere. And so for many of you here, are you going to go ahead and start? Maybe you're going to start by not having the proper equipment like the belay and the shoes and the chalks. But you're going to go out there and whatever you have on because you want to try. But as you become a little more comfortable with what you're struggling with and sharing it, you get the proper tools and equipment for you to combat this sin because you want to break away from it and you want to be free from it. You see, freedom takes time and it's one step at a time you're going to do it right and maybe for some of you the reason why it takes time is because god has created a way for you to understand that it is not just a snap of a finger for you to go through and get this sin removed it's just not it's just not it takes time friday night of you you are a marvel superhero person there's a lot of discussions, a lot of little small groups, a lot of uh, 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 groups that needed to be come together because there was this struggle of like what happened at the end of the Avengers, the Infinity War. The other day I had an hour conversation with an old former youth about what happened, what ended, what was going on, and all this crazy stuff. But it was a process. Maybe some of you are going through a process right now of trying to avoid... Twitter and different things, and that's another ending. For some of you, the process to overcome the sexual bondage is what? Learning how to fight. God is allowing you to go through this particular struggle because he's teaching you how to learn how to fight, how to speak up for yourself, how to remove your selfishness, how to be not prideful, be proud of yourself, talk about this. Overcoming habits. Is he teaching you how to come to break certain habits that it gets you in your place, you actually know the time, the location, certain things, how you, what you do when you begin to be in this bondage. He can teach you how to, can you break away from it? How do you deal with guilt and failures? What are you going to do about coming to someone and saying, I am broken, I have this here. Can we talk about it? For the part of guys that I've met with, I sat there, I listened attentively because I wanted to love them like no other. The more I loved the way that Jesus loves me, the more they began to open up their hearts because they wanted to be away from this. But they had to share their, their failures. They have to share some of the guilt. And to be honest with you, it just, it, it, it just takes time for the hearts to heal. Some of us, maybe are, you're, you're, you're being conditioned your whole life to not even cry. We have emotion. 
or you, in your, or who you are, any kind of hint of saying a sin about you, right, or something about you, you're so worried about your reputation, about who you are, about who knows. And for me, I'm up here, I'm like, I could care less. Because if in your heart you come in day in, day out as a believer in Christ, maybe you praise, maybe you lead, maybe you hear, but yet your heart is ravished in this bondage, your soul and your heart is dead. It's gone. But on the outside, it's so shiny, so waxy. It's a great, nice car. Great response. But on the inside, you're a corpse. You're a walking corpse. Are you with me? Are you still with me? The last R. If you do not realize what you're going through, if you do not want restoration, if you do not want to repent, the last R is repeat. Repeat all these things again. Live another day to fight, to wrestle, to wonder, to pray, to confess. You know, for me, it took me a long time to realize that what I needed to do See, my heart, my heart did not want to away, it, it, it didn't want to wash away the sins that I was wrestling with going through. It just didn't. Because my pride in who I am, my selfishness, wanted to stay in that sin and look shiny and look great, have the most appropriate responses to different things, serve in the church, be somebody. When I realized that all I was really doing was washing my sins over and over again with myself. It was pointless. Hebrews 10, 10 says this. It says, our hearts are washed away. The reason why our hearts are washed away is because we're in sin. But it says, it says Hebrews 10, 10 says, our sins are washed away and we are made clean because Christ gave his own body as a gift to God. He did this once for all time. See, we're sanctified because of justification. And justification is because it is a one-time act that Jesus did on the cross for us. That's a death on the cross. And we're being continually sanctified all the time because of this act. And so this right here, this lust and this brokenness, I would just keep washing myself here with this sin. And as I keep washing this sin in me, right, the sin doesn't go away. It stays, right? No matter how much I wash it, maybe I'll bleach it, but this, these sins are still here. But then I realize that I need to keep washing, not with my own water. I need to wash with Jesus. I need to understand that I'm a sinner. I need to understand that I need to repent. I understand that there is freedom. And if there is freedom in this, I need to be washed properly. I was washed by God. Jesus washed it for me. As I began to be washed, I realized that my sins, they slowly went away. They slowly, the hurt, the brokenness, the bondage, the whatever it was, it was gone. I don't know where you're at this morning or where, who, or what you are, or what you're wrestling with, or you're in a group right now that's encouraging and loving you as you're going through this. 
this morning, my hope for you is hope. There is love. There is a new attitude. There is freedom. There is a choice that you can make to break away from this bondage. And as we close, there is prayer available in the back for people that would love to pray for you. And maybe you haven't said a thing. They just want someone just to let you know that my heart is broken. I need Jesus. I need to be cleansed. Take away my pain. Take away my brokenness. Take away this lust. This ravishing my heart. Because there's freedom. There's joy. Life is much more than that. I have two beautiful daughters that I get a chance. You've heard this, Karis Natty, but let me tell you this. Let me tell you about a God that loves you despite the things that you will hear, things that you might see, because I will teach you because what Jesus is teaching me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you are a good God that gives so much. May you break away this bondage, Father, of sin. And as you break away this bondage of sin, Father, Lord, may you allow us to know that you love us. There's no amount of shame that, or guilt that you could bring to you at your cross that you would say no to. You love us. 1 John 3.16 says this. We know what love is. Jesus on the cross. We know what love is because Jesus is on the cross. May you remind us, Father, Lord, of what love is because you take us out of the depths of hell to be with you in heaven, to experience freedom because you are a good God and you want heaven for us, Lord. You give us hope. May we, Father, Lord, come before you to realize, to be restored, to repent, and if we need to, repeat it all over again. Amen.